This episode is brought to you by Awesome CX by Transcom. Awesome CX provides high-touch, personalized customer experience services to consumer brands of any size. Stay tuned for a special offer for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Lee Green, and this is episode 181. Today, I sat down with Sarah Yankee, the co-founder and CEO of Home Court. Co-founded by Courtney Cox, Home Court is a home fragrance brand made with non-toxic skincare grade ingredients and is on a mission to inspire transformation from house to home. Sarah shares her story from being born in Michigan as the oldest of three girls to attending an all-girls school in New York City to interning at Sears, which opened up her eyes to the consulting world, to working at L'Oreal, where she ran marketing for Victor and Wolf and Perenza Schuller Fragrances. She talks about meeting Courtney Cox for the first time over Zoom, what it was like to fundraise for the first time, and how she's grown as a leader. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe, leave us an awesome review, and check us out at stairwaytoceo.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I'm excited to hear your story in building Home Court. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Lee. It's great to be here. I'm excited to hear your story. I mean, obviously, you're working with Courtney Cox, which I feel like everybody loves. Let's start from the very beginning about you. Where are you from originally? Where'd you grow up? What was it like? I was born in Michigan. I'm the oldest of three girls and lived in Michigan till I was about 11 or 12 years old. My family moved to Westchester, New York, right outside New York City when I was going into seventh grade. And once we moved to New York, I went to an all-girls school. Since I was a little kid, I was also a dancer. I I did ballet for 16 years. So, so young Sarah was always at the dance studio and also definitely the oldest sister type, a little bossy and <laughs> trailblazing, showing trailblazing, the rest of the way. <laughs> yes. When I moved to New York, you know, I was finally old enough to be a babysitter and I was really excited. So one of the first things I did when I moved to my new neighborhood was created a flyer. You showed me. I remember I, I got the email and you showed me and it's hilarious. It's like babysitting is my business at the top. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 12 years old in seventh grade asking for $5 an hour, only a dollar extra for after midnight. It's hilarious. Quite a deal. That's a deal. <laughs> I'm like five bucks an hour. Where did that go? I don't know. I think I brought the Michigan prices to New York because <laughs> yeah. that was definitely below what it should have been. <laughs> Michigan prices. Exactly. Did it work? Did you get a lot of business from that newsletter? I did. I did. I started with a family of four kids, which was so they were like, oh, this wow. is a deal, right? $5 for four kids. You didn't, you <laughs> forgot know. about the sibling add on. Exactly. So no, I started, it was really exciting. And then I, because I'm the oldest, 
I have two younger sisters. We kind of started an empire in the neighborhood. So when I got too old or too busy to babysit, then Christine, my sister, was able to take over and then Megan. So it was a good first business. <laughs> 12 years old, though. In my head, I'm like, isn't that really young to be babysitting? Like, what's the age where you would like, I don't know, maybe as an adult would feel yeah. comfortable having? Very true. I'm not sure. If I, as a parent today, I would do the same thing, but <laughs> uh, like 12, shouldn't they be getting babysat? Probably. <laughs> I don't know. I have a two-year-old right now and definitely would not have a 12-year-old watching my two-year-old, but maybe that's also different, you know? <laughs> maybe like 12-year-olds can watch eight or seven-year-olds, you know, pretty easily. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you were experienced, so... Yes, I was experienced. I had even taken a course at the hospital to get certified. So yes, I saw that you bragged about that <laughs> in your newsletter as part of your sales pitch. Oh, <laughs> well yes, done. yes. Thank you. So yeah, I was definitely enterprising at a young age and loved, like I mentioned, loved dance, loved theater at my new school in New York. It was an all girls school. And I was able to be involved in the arts a lot, especially living close to New York City, which was exciting. And Growing up, definitely thought I wanted to become an actress or a professional artist of some sort. My AOL screen name, the original, was Broadway Debut 22. So that was really my whole world back then. You wanted to be on Broadway. Well, because you did the ballet thing, right? So you were really maybe into like performing and theater and that whole world, right? Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. And so... It sounds like, did you kind of go down that path and try to pursue that since you were in New York? Yeah, I definitely participated in a lot of performing arts, even outside of my school. There was a group called the Westchester Broadway Theater or the Random, I think it was called Random Farms Kids Theater. I, I did a lot of that outside of school too. But I also had a pretty traditional mindset in terms of wanting to go to college. I think towards the end of my high school years, I started to kind of bridge the arts and business. So I did have an internship when I was a senior in high school, where I got to work for the producers of Chicago, the musical. It was the summer, I would take the train into the city, I'd walk through Times Square, and their office was in the Actors Equity Building. So there'd be a line outside the door every day of actors. And then I'd go up and I'd be in the production office. I was specifically working for like an educational theater groups. I would cold call Girl Scout troops and try to sell tickets to the Broadway shows. And that was a good experience and kind of like a taste of, again, the business side and not being on the stage, but behind the scenes and on the business side. And at that point, I knew I was going to go to college at the University of Chicago. And when I got to UChicago, I still was interested in the arts. I had been in a play my first quarter there and then auditioned for a play my second quarter as well, but didn't get the part. But however, the same day I didn't get the part, I did get an internship at the Court Theater, which is a professional theater in Chicago. And so again, kind of that bridge from the arts into business, learning about the business side of the theater. I was helping with their development team and fundraising, and then also kind of stretched my leadership and business muscles while at UChicago with a student group called MODA. It was a fashion organization that we had a magazine. This was before blogs <laughs> were really popular. So we added like a printed magazine and we also did a designer boot camp, kind of like Project Runway and produced fashion shows. And I was involved in the organization all four years. But by my senior year, we had really grown to be 
well-known even outside of our university and our event that we produced in downtown Chicago had over a thousand tickets sold for this student fashion show. So that was really fun. And again, kind of bridging the creative into business. That's really interesting. And so I guess before we kind of go into career, you know, and, and what went on there, what were some of the biggest challenges that you overcame as a kid? Leading up to the move to New York, I did deal with some mean girls in fifth and sixth grade. Feel The feeling of uh, being left out was always difficult. I was definitely a confident child, especially with my love for the arts. I was very comfortable being the leader, being on stage, whatever it took. But I think then in fifth and sixth grade, that type of personality can be what makes other people not want to be around you or make fun of you or leave you out because they don't have that same confidence. And then when that happens, you start to question yourself and you go, wait, why don't people like me? Or why are they treating me like this? I want to be friends with everybody. So that was definitely hard. And I think that moving to New York was exciting for me. It was a way to kind of start over. But you know, you never really forget mean girls. <laughs> That's for sure. I have plenty of those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I totally. had plenty of those. High school was horrible. So you at least were able to move to New York and kind of like fresh slate, new friends, hopefully a lot more open-minded and able to kind of hopefully flourish in the new environment. Definitely. Yeah. So it was exciting to move and start fresh. And then I think I think it was challenging being so busy. I was so into the arts that I wanted to do it all. I wanted to do dance and theater and be good at school. And I think that I was definitely very busy and overscheduled and didn't sleep a lot <laughs> in high school. But I overall had a great experience. And looking back, everything leads to where it's supposed to. I know. It's so weird how that works. Because when you're in it, you're like, where is this train going? Exactly. And then you finally can look back a few times and be like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> So you've had such an incredible career working at PwC. You've worked at, I mean, so L'Oreal, you know, you've had such great experience. Can you talk about your career path and journey and how that's been? Definitely. So while in college, I did have an internship every summer. And what led me into PwC was my, my final internship going into senior year at Sears Holdings. So that was like a big legacy retail company. So big corporate. I remember you could Google map my walk from the entrance to where my my cubicle was. It was that big of a corporate campus. But the team I worked for, which was the Sears e-commerce team, they were all ex-consultants from BCG, Bain, McKinsey. And so they really gave me great training and really talked to me about what that career path could look like. So when I went back to school for senior year, I was very focused on entering the business world through consulting. That's how I wound up at PwC. I actually uh, originally was with Diamond, which was like a boutique consulting group that got acquired by PwC by the time that I joined. So I was at PwC for about three years, always in the travel and transportation group. So I worked with airline clients. And that was really interesting to get a behind the scenes look at that industry. At that time, I also knew I was going back to business school. I had applied as a senior at UChicago and got the offer to come back in three years. So during my time at PwC, I was really thinking about what did I want to do next? And, and the main two things for me, one, I, I wanted to transparently be around a more female environment. I was usually the only woman on an account of like 80 men. And I was like, I want to be around more women, more role models. 
But also you went to like an all girls school, right? Oh, so yeah. you also were kind of, and you have sisters, like you're used to being around like a ton of women. Sounds <laughs> like, and here you are. Yes. So that was, a, I was a little bit of a fish out of water <laughs> in the, in the male dominated consulting world. But, you know, while airlines are tangible and, you know, we fly them all the time, what the types of projects I was working on were very behind the scenes, like new reservation systems or new loyalty programs. And I really was drawn to something more tactile and physical. And I was a big consumer of beauty. I would hang out at the makeup counters at Bloomingdale's or Sephora on the, <laughs> on the weekends and was really passionate about that. So that's kind of what drew me to going back into business school, knowing I wanted to enter the beauty industry. So while at business school, everything I did was with the beauty and consumer mindset. I actually was the consumer associate at Hyde Park Angels, which was an early stage angel investment fund. So I chatted with some beauty companies, but also food and Bev and other consumer companies. And then any class project I did, I remember I did an M&A class and I pretended I was L'Oreal buying a, a brand. And I ultimately wound up at L'Oreal post-business school because I really wanted to learn how to become an operator. So at L'Oreal, I started as the chief of staff for the president of International Designer Collections, which was a group in the luxury division that had Armani, YSL, Ralph Lauren, Margiela. And I helped him up in that group operationalize pop-up retail. So at the time, those brands were very traditional brick and mortar. Some of them didn't even have D2C websites. And I helped open seven shops in 2017 that are kind of the first D2C brick and mortar experiences for those brands. And then I was promoted and became the head of marketing for Victor and Rolf and Parenza Schooler Fragrances. So Victor and Rolf, a very legacy brand, has one of the top five women's fragrances, Flower Bomb, in that portfolio. And then Parenza Schooler was a new brand that launched in 2018. And it was a great experience. I was managing about $82 million of business at the time and learned a lot. So 2020 was my third year in that role. And at that time, I think for a lot of people, the pandemic put a lot of things into perspective and people kind of had time to reflect. And for me, I wasn't so excited anymore about living in New York City or what was potentially next for me at L'Oreal. And I was really missing the earlier stage companies and opportunities that I had while at business school. So I started to network and a business school connection actually introduced me to a group of investors called Joby Capital. They were um, had dabbled in consumer investing and were a family office tied to a large retail group in the Middle East who owns a lot of franchises like, like Zara in Italy. And they wanted to start talent-led brands. They actually were looking for exactly my background, someone with fragrance brand management and MBA and management consulting. And at the time, they didn't tell me who the celebrity was or, you know, they mentioned it was fragrance related, but were really focused on candles. So it wasn't until about three months of interviews that I found out it was Courtney Cox. And at that point, I, I said, oh, wow, this, this could be really big. And when I met her, we really clicked. How was your first meeting? Were you like, so I just had... Kate Foster, who's the co-founder and CEO of The Outset, which is Scarlett Johansson's clean skincare brand. And I talked to her about what was that first meeting like when you met Scarlett? What was your first meeting like when you first met Courtney? I'm sure there's a lot of like, oh my God, I'm going to meet Courtney Cox or 
you know, and you're telling all your friends and you're like, how do I play it cool? I don't know. Tell, <laughs> tell us the whole story. So it was on Zoom. I was in New York at the time because I hadn't moved to LA yet. And one funny thing I remember is I wore this like very colorful orange linen kind of tropical looking shirt or dress that I loved. And I remember at one point in the interview on Zoom, Courtney was talking about her style and her taste. And she's like, I hate bright colors. And I was like, oh, God, I didn't get this. (laughs) Yeah, that's hilarious. So the bright color part is really the true me. But I remember thinking like, oh, I might not get this because of what I wore, but it worked out. But she was really nice. And she also had some of her team on the call. And it went really well. It was very natural, easygoing and fun. And we already had started to talk and like brainstorm on the call, which was exciting. And the other fun tidbit about that interview is I had my friend had given me a candle about a year prior that had like a crystal in it. So if you know about this, if you like set an intention with the crystal and you let the candle burn, it is supposed to help you manifest. And I had been burning that candle even before I knew about this opportunity. And I just chose to burn it in the background of this call. And at the end of the call, the crystal had emerged from the wax. So that was a good sign. (laughs) That's kind of creepy, but crazy. Wow. Yes. Like serendipitous, but not. That's insane. Exactly. Because is, I mean, what do they say? What's it supposed to mean normally when that happens? Well, it was a tiger's eye crystal, which I'm going to have to ask my friend who gave me this gift, who knows a little more about crystals than I do. But I think tiger's eye is related to success. And so the idea that this crystal emerged while I was having my final round interview, I think was a sign that I was going to join this company and it's going to be successful. So was that the last, they were like, okay, we've got one more interview. It's the one where you get to meet Courtney. Is that the interview where this thing emerged? That was the interview. Wow. So you knew it was your final interview and this little crystal just popped up and (laughs) here you are. Exactly. Yeah. And I've never even told Courtney that story. Well, now she can hear it. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to go get myself a crystal candle. (laughs) Oh yeah. I'll send you one. Home court doesn't put crystals in our candles yet. But maybe after this episode, you're going to have to start. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Were you into crystals before or this was just like a a gift from a friend? This was a gift from a friend. I was definitely into fragrance and candles before having worked in the industry, but crystals was a gift from a friend. And I mean, I will admit now that I live in LA, I'm definitely even more spiritual than I was before. But that was my first crystal item that I owned was that candle. (laughs) That is so funny. Amazing. So, you know, when you first met Courtney and you got introduced to this opportunity, how far along was the business? It had not started. It was really just the idea that Courtney and Joby were going to go into business together as partners. And then they were looking for this CEO and co-founder to bring a business to life. And they had done a lot of research, consumer and market research on candles in particular. So basically when I got brought in, the brief was we're going to make candles. And so I said, I can definitely do that. I know how to do that from L'Oreal. But as we were having some of our first brainstorming meetings after I accepted the opportunity, I even during those brainstorming meetings, we kept seeing other celebrity candle brands pop up. So Drake launched a line, even the actor who played Hannibal Lecter launched a candle line. And I, I said, hey, everyone, we're definitely going to make candles. But we need to have a larger portfolio and a larger brand idea to really make this a long-term lasting business. 
having been in the fragrance market, I knew that there was a lot of opportunity to bring more prestige fragrances, which into other new formats. And I think that given Courtney was Monica and friends, her tie and her authenticity around cleaning really worked. So I said, why don't we disrupt the household products category with fine fragrance and this luxury beauty philosophy? And so I pitched that back to them. Everyone was excited. And that's when we did our first round of fundraising. And once we did that, that's when I left L'Oreal. And so we got started Jan 1, 2021 and did product and brand development for 13 months. Everything we did was, again, approaching this category from a luxury beauty philosophy. So we worked with the best noses and perfume houses that I knew from L'Oreal. Actually, one of our perfumers, Jerome Epinette, was also a nose at Byredo. So if you get to experience our products, you'll see a very high-end niche style of perfumery with very high-quality ingredients that would typically be reserved for Eau de Parfum. We also worked with a skincare chemist on all of our formulas. So even though a lot of our formulas don't go on the skin, we wanted to take a skincare and clean beauty approach. And then lastly, with packaging, being a new brand and that would be coming out in 2022, we didn't want to create more waste. So our approach is that we use 100% post-consumer recycled material in all of our packaging from the bottles to even the unit cartons. Nice. Yeah. And the branding is beautiful. I have my two favorite scents here, which I probably can't pronounce correctly. But I'm actually curious, what is the most popular scent? Our best seller is CC, which is Courtney's signature fragrance. So Courtney, actually, the whole reason why she was drawn to candles and starting this business in the first place is her passion for fragrance. She used to mix her own oils to create her own personal scents. And CC, which is now our best seller, is basically her original personal scent. That's funny. It's really good. That's actually one of my favorites. I have two up here, but I think that it's so tough because my it's like a tie between that one and Cypress Mint. That's Courtney's second favorite. So you have the same taste. <laughs> yeah. And they're both great. I mean, obviously the rose is really good and so is the other one, but wow, these two are like stand out. Thank you so much. I think what what's so unique about them is especially in these formats and these cleaning formats, you don't usually have a woody, smoky scent like CC or while mint sometimes isn't cleaning, ours isn't that medicinal. It's much more grounded, earthy. And I think everything, and definitely our rose especially, it smells real. So that's because of our high quality ingredients. And we're not these artificial lemon or lavender fragrances that you typically see in cleaning. We're really bringing fine fragrance into these new formats. It's like a room deodorant, which is really interesting. It's almost like what room do you put them in, right? Are you going to assign certain fragrances to different rooms? Like, How do you think about the house? We like to call it scentscaping. And that's the idea that fragrance is an extension of your home decor. It's interior landscaping, if you will. So for me personally, I do kind of wardrobe and scentscape throughout the home. So different rooms have different fragrances. I currently have steeped rose in my kitchen and cypress mint in my bathroom. And then CC is more in the living space. But we also have consumers who fall in love with the fragrance and want to have that be their signature scent throughout their whole home. And then Courtney actually really loves the idea of layering. And so she'll burn two different candles at once. And kind of that creates its own fragrance as well. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. 
customer service and call centers are rarely topics that people get excited about. But Awesome CX is simply different. Their inclusive culture rooted in wellness and fun means that their teams are encouraged to be their best selves personally and professionally by providing them with everything from mental health and healthcare resources to career development. And regardless of the size of your business, Awesome CX is uniquely positioned to support you throughout your growth. They work with some of the fastest growing startups like FabFitFun, Carbon38, Lettuce Grow, Mudwater, and so many more. Want to see it to believe it? Just email me directly at lee, L-E-E, at stairwaytoceo.com to request to join one of their coffee chats where you can meet with their amazing team and witness the agent engagement yourself. You'll be so impressed. I can't wait for you to learn more about Awesome CX to make your brand's customer experience awesome. Thank you so much to our incredible sponsors for supporting the Stairway to CEO podcast. Now let's get back to the show. You've been working on this since 2020. How how long after that meeting with Courtney, that final interview, did you get the job offer and then start working together? So the interview was in September 2020 with Courtney. And then I got the offer shortly after that. But it wasn't until that December that I left L'Oreal. So we knew I was going to be leaving L'Oreal and we, you know, we did a few brainstorming meetings, but the idea was we wanted one, we weren't going to leave. I wasn't going to leave until we had that business idea with all of the products and we did the fundraising for it. So that's why my first official day as home court co-founder and CEO is Jan 1, 2021. Were you part of the fundraising process? For the first round, I was not, but since then we have done the second round of funding, which I led that process. We had a lot of amazing individual investors from that first round who decided to come on again. And then we had some new individuals as well. So we've been more fundraising from high net worth individuals at this point, no institutional yet. Right. Because it's still kind of seed round, I guess, is what you closed recently. Because nothing's been priced. It's still pre-seed. So how was it fundraising? That was like your first time fundraising. What was your experience like? And what were some of the challenges that you didn't expect? In general, fundraising can be intimidating. There's a lot of industry jargon or acronyms or just things that if you haven't done it before, you're not used to it. And I'm sure the same could be said for the beauty industry, right? Like we call perfume juiced. And if you're not from the industry, you're not going to know that. So I tried to say, not that they're trying to be intimidating. It's just a different industry and vocabulary that you have to learn. I think for me, I didn't want to ask any stupid questions, but I had to get over that and find people who have done this before and ask them the things I would be afraid to ask other people. So, hey, someone's saying, this is the valuation. How would you think about that? Or another thing that I had to learn is just how to kind of run that tight process. And it's all about relationship building and also the speed at which you do this. So it's a bit of a game. It's not as straightforward. You know, you have to set deadlines. You have to say, hey, we're closing this. Are you in or are you out? Because otherwise people will never make a decision. So kind of all of those soft skills too, I had to learn, but I had so many great people in my corner through networking and meeting other entrepreneurs in LA who were able to help me and guide me. And I will definitely admit that I think while fundraising is always hard, I feel much more confident going into it in the future. Yeah. Once you do it, then you're like, okay, now I know what to expect, but certainly lots of bumps along the road. And what were some of those? You said they're not stupid questions because you just didn't know, but what were some of the things that you didn't really know or had to learn? I think different KPIs are how, how people think about things. So sometimes when you look at a 
evaluation, for example, they do it based off of next 12 months versus last 12 months. And so just like figuring out where the other person you're talking to is coming from and how they look at it. I think two, just other terms that might be in a term sheet, like I can't think of them right now. So, <laughs> but like liquidity preferences, things like that, just big legal words that if you don't know what they are, you want to make sure you know what you're getting into. Fortunately, I was just doing a safe round. So that's pretty simple and straightforward. But in the future, there'll be more complicated things, but I have the right network to rely on. It's definitely important to surround yourself, especially with entrepreneurs that have fundraised before. They're so helpful and they have a ton of connections. And the founder community, I think, is one of the most important things as a founder yourself. And as I've been a founder too, it's something that I really relied heavily on for advice and network and all types of things. So how has the business been going? You know, you started in January 2021, you focused on the product development and brand development. And when did the company officially launch? And how has it been going since then? It officially launched January 26, 2022 on our D2C site, homecourt.co. We sold out in eight hours that day, which was very exciting. But we did have some supply chain issues. So we had to be out of stock for a little bit. Once we came back in stock, though, the brand was very well received. First, the press loves us. They think that we're innovators in the space. We're not pigeonholed as just another celebrity brand. It's truly seen as authentic to Courtney. And then one of the amazing things to see was our products got great reviews. We've won 10 awards so far on our products, including an Allure Best of Beauty Award. We also see 94% five-star reviews from our customers. And we have a nearly 50% repeat rate, which is a very strong retention rate. So I feel very proud that the quality of our products is being recognized and is what's bringing people to the brand and also keeping them there. Definitely. So we were mostly D2C for that first year, 2022. We did launch at Violet Gray and did a few pop-ups with Jenny Kane, who's a great brand partner for us. And then this year... In 2023, we've already doubled our sales for the first half. We're beating our forecasts and we're starting to go into more offline channels. So our approach to who the right retailers are for us are specialty beauty and home stores. So we're currently at Shen Beauty in Brooklyn, Scent Bar in LA, Field and Fort, which is a high-end home goods store in Montecito. And our goal is to be in 100 points of discovery by the end of this year. And we're about half of the way there. 100 points of discovery. So you guys are really thinking about retail from a discovery lens and finding these specialty places where people can discover the product rather than sell off the shelves of Target type of style. Exactly. I think that something like a Target or a national chain could be in the future. But for now, you know, we are a prestige and premium position brand. We are about 5X, your typical mass household brand. And so we need to be displayed and discovered in places that have that same level of other brands. So for us, points of discovery are twofold. One is a place where you could actually buy the product like Field and Fort or Shen, but then also amenity partnerships. So we're the official soap at and amenities at Spring Place Beverly Hills. We're in a few restaurants, spas and gyms in Southern California. So even with Courtney being the co-founder and having millions and millions of followers, 
and really being the number one way people discover the brand. As a fragrance brand, it's so important to also be able to try the products in person. So that's why we're popping up in these discovery points. That's really interesting. So you'll continue to maybe find more hotels, more gyms, more all of those B2B kind of outlets for discovery is how you're thinking about it. Correct. And when you say five times the cost of mass, you know, the household products, because it is a premium prestigious brand. And you can tell too, just by the packaging, you know, and the branding, it's very nicely done. Let's talk about, you know, what you guys retail for online and what you're competing against on the kind of mass side. So our portfolio spans a lot of different product types. We have surface spray, dish soap, hand wash, hand cream, candles, and room deodorant. So we have a lot of competition on the prestige beauty end when it comes to the hand products and the candles, but not as much competition when it comes to surface spray, dish soap, and room deodorant. So when you look at those more everyday cleaning products, there aren't a lot of luxury brands like ours. Diptyque did come out with a cleaning capsule. There's another small brand, Levant Collective, that has a similar high-end elevated approach. But truly, we're having customers trade up from the the mass everyday products like Mrs. Myers, Method, et cetera. And so that's where I say our surface spray is $22, whereas Mrs. Myers, I believe, is about $4.99. So that's where you see we're higher priced. And our price is driven truly by the high quality ingredients. Like I mentioned, the perfume and fragrance that we've developed is what's typically in a $200 plus bottle of Eau de Parfum. And now this is in your surface spray. Plus, we have the clean ingredients and the sustainable packaging. So that's what commands our premium price point. Interesting. And so since you've been in business and you've got this goal at the end of the year and probably go out maybe for another round, I guess, next year, how big is the team so far? And how has your journey been as CEO, this being your first CEO role? Yeah. So currently we have a team of five full-time employees, including myself. That's a pretty recent number. We were operating much leaner just a few months ago. And we've always had a pretty large network of consultants and agencies as well. But we're really trying to hone in the team on being in LA and being full-time. I think that when you first start, the flexibility of contractors, agencies is really helpful. However, there comes like a tipping point where you want that loyalty and that commitment to the brand and what you're building. So I, even in the past two months, have this kind of new sense of, I don't know if relief is the word, but just like strength and support. And I feel so excited about the people that I'm working with every day and how everyone's committed to this vision and can't wait to see what happens next with all of us working hard together. So I think that that's actually been a big learning for me as CEO. So people management, I do have experience from L'Oreal. At L'Oreal in general, there's just lots of more teams that help you do things like hiring, recruiting, HR, yeah. HR, <laughs> yeah, benefits, legal, supply chain, like just so much more help and people to rely on. And I've definitely had to wear almost every hat so far at home court. I learned something new every day. And, you know, just going through that experience of, okay, this is the right person for this role now, but the business changes so quickly that the right team member in year one may not be the right team member in year two. So I think that was an interesting learning experience the first two years of the business. But now going into year three, 
I really feel like we're at this point where we have the right team members in place to get to those next milestones. Is there anything that you wish you would have known before getting this opportunity or having this role as CEO? Hmm. So in general, I've always been a very curious person. I do love, I love school. I love to learn. But that said, I also like to be good at things and be in control. And so I think that being an entrepreneur is my ultimate life lesson of letting go a little bit of some control. There's just some things, example, like there may be a ship that sinks or a truck that lights on fire. That hasn't happened to us yet. But, you know, there's just things that can be out of your control. And I think this is like my ultimate life lesson through this role. What's something that happened where you're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like I have to really exercise that muscle to realize I don't have control over everything. We've had a few interesting things happen at our warehouse with customer shipments that we're currently working through. I would love to tell you about it, but I think not for the podcast. (laughs) But here's another example that I could share. Like, So we developed all these amazing fragrances and you approve them in the candle base. And then when you put them into your formulas, like your soaps and your sprays, because it's chemistry, sometimes it interacts and it smells totally different. So this was a few years ago now, but the first round of Cypress Mint, when we put it in our soaps, it smelled like tomato sauce. <laughs> and we didn't necessarily have that built into our timelines. So I think that, you know, things like chemistry and science and like, you just have to build in time and things can go wrong. But it's always important to get it perfect before. So how do you imagine you guys evolving as a leader here? Like what's some things that you do to help yourself, like stay resilient, stay focused? Do you work with a coach? Like what are some of the things that you have that help you with your job? Yes, I do have a coach and I highly recommend that. It's great to have just an outsider's perspective on things that you're going through and who also has your well-being in mind. So one of the things I don't think I thought about as much at L'Oreal, but now I do is in order to do a good job, you do have to be well-rested, healthy, eating the right food. So it's almost like having an athlete mindset. And I didn't do sports growing up. I was more of a dancer, but I'm trying to think of myself more as an athlete now. Like, what do I need to do? How many hours of sleep do I need? How many glasses of water do I need to be my best self? Because that also trickles down, obviously, to the team and then ultimately to the customers. So I'm working with my coach on making sure I am prioritizing those things. Um, We also talk about how people can self-sabotage. So like recognizing what I might be doing to get in my own way. I think that's especially true in those stressful moments. Like I lean towards asking, oh, why is this happening? And sometimes again, with the control thing, the why doesn't matter. It's happening. So how are you going to react to it? How do you deal with that? I mean, and the self-sabotage thing is such a, sometimes a blind spot for so many people. How do you work to keep tabs on things like this? One thing that my coach and I talk about is about being in your body. So when you're just in your head, you may not have the right cues. You're you're always thinking, you're overthinking, and it's like, take a breath. How do you want to react to this? And so it's just about kind of having that mind-body connection. And again, if something is upsetting, like you just kind of let it pass and you don't really have to overanalyze why that thing is happening or why it's upsetting. It's more, how are you going to choose to react to it? 
Right, right. But I guess there's still a balance of like, how did we get here so we don't get here again? And then also thinking, okay, now we're here. Now what? How do we like problem solve to get through this? Oh, very true. I would say that these examples that I'm talking about are more interpersonal than like a business issue. Definitely with my team, I call it being detail and data driven. It's always important to be prepared with the details and with the numbers so that especially when we're communicating to other suppliers or third parties, we're able to come prepared with the facts. And obviously mistakes happen, but it's important to understand how to make sure they don't happen again in the future. Absolutely. So I'm just so curious. I feel like, you know, this is like such an exciting brand and you guys are really off to the races. What's next for the business? Like what's the grand vision? And how'd you guys come up with the name Home Corp, by the way? Which I think I kind of like, it seems so obvious, I guess. Like, I feel like I could come up with it if I guessed, but I'd love to hear how you guys came up with the name Home Corp. That was a fun process and it took a while and we didn't, I don't even think we picked the name till maybe March of 2021, about three months in. So it wasn't as obvious to us as now it seems. The way that we got there was we had been coming up with so many other types of names that were a little bit complicated or had like, subliminal meaning. So the one that we were thinking of right before home court was called the devoirs, which devoir means duty or honor and homework, like literally like the homework that you do in school. So it was like a play on words, but it was also French. And at the end of the day, none of us could really pronounce it very well. And then you'd have to explain it. And so I think where we landed is how do we come up with a name that is easy to pronounce and that you don't have to explain because there's too many other things about a brand that you have to tell the customer, here's our products, here's the, so it's always helpful if you don't have to explain the brand name. And then I don't really remember how it came up, but home court just was the simplest and made sense. So who came up with it though? I will have to go back to the files. I think it was a, it was truly a team effort with Courtney and myself and our other creative partner at the time. So we had like slides of like 40 names that we go through and cross out. And so I don't remember who put the original <laughs> name on the slide, but it's like you decide and you go, wow, why didn't we think of that sooner? <laughs> but sometimes you have to go through the process to get to the ultimate best result. That's awesome. Amazing. So what's next for the brand? We are developing new categories where we can innovate with fine fragrance. So expect some big launches in 2024 with new formats. And then we also continue to innovate with new fragrances as well. So just yesterday, we launched our summer limited edition fragrance, Mandarin Basil. It's very juicy, very savory, I would say. You really smell that basil. So new fragrances, new formats to get excited about. And then again, as we continue to expand into different points of discovery, you'll be able to experience home court in real life and offline more often. That's awesome. Well, I'm really excited for you guys. What's some final advice you have for aspiring entrepreneurs, maybe that want to have an awesome job like you, co-founding with an awesome celebrity from Friends, one of their favorite Mm -hmm. shows? But really, what's maybe some advice you have for those that are either in the trenches building a brand today or aspiring to do so? I would say trust the timing. I think for me, prior to be having this opportunity, I was a little impatient with my career sometimes, always wanting to climb or get to the next thing. I remember, you know, there's those lists like Forbes 30 under 30, which feel like a ticking time bomb. And and I think that people glorify entrepreneurs who 
maybe never even graduated high school, which is awesome. And those are stories to be celebrated, but it sometimes can make people feel like, oh, I missed my chance. I wasn't an entrepreneur in high school. I'm never going to be one. And I, I definitely had those feelings sometimes, but looking back, all of the dots connect from working in fragrance. And I, I remember at L'Oreal, I didn't even, I sometimes I was frustrated that I wasn't on color cosmetics or hair or skincare, but guess what? If I didn't know about the fragrance industry, I may not have gotten this opportunity. So trust the timing and how all of the dots can connect and also have confidence that all of the experience you do get from your big corporate or wherever else you work can really inform how you can run a business and lead a business. So looking back, I'm very happy that it all unfolded this way. I feel very prepared for what I'm doing now. So trust the timing. And then for people who are currently entrepreneurs, I think that same advice can be taken. There's a lot of pressure to grow fast and do everything fast, but trust the timing. Different opportunities pop up along the way. That's awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story from like babysitting all the way through now (laughs) building a fragrance brand. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.